If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Oliver. Let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you for your word. May you open our hearts and our minds to your love this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Imagine for a moment that I have a painting here in front of me, a painting of a country scene. And imagine I'm describing this painting to you, and I say to you, there is a bull in the field. Now imagine that we are walking together in the country, and you are about to hop over a stile, and I shout out, there is a bull in the field. You can see that context is everything. And the context of this passage that we are looking at this morning is the context of love. <clears throat> Just before the reading we had, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's a beautiful expression of self-giving, sacrificial love. And he says to them, you must live as I live, you must be as I am, as he says, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And immediately after this conversation, he tells his friends, his followers, to remain in his love. And he says to them again that they are to love one another. And then he says it again, love one another. He makes it abundantly clear that his command is to love. So as we join this conversation about the Spirit, let us recognize that the Spirit is all about love. The Spirit is promised to us so that we can know God's love and also so that we can respond and love God and that we can love one another. It, all of it goes together, it's inseparable. John says later in one of his letters, God is love and whoever lives in God lives in love. Whoever lives in God lives in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. In other words, the invitation to join in with the life of the Spirit is an invitation to join in with a life of love. Just as God as Trinity is a community of love, he's inviting us to reflect that in our lives. But our world is very unloving, isn't it? I was talking to a friend the other day, and to put it bluntly, year 10 girls can be really unkind. But it's not just year 10 girls, is it? We see um, the lack of love that is patient, love that is kind and good and true. We see the lack of it everywhere, in our homes, in our families, in our communities, and of course, in our nation, in our world. The Lord knows we need a helper, and that is exactly what Jesus promises us. John here in this passage gives us the word uh, in Greek, it's paraclete. And uh, English lets us down somewhat because we don't have a word that just encompasses all that the title paraclete uh, means. So it is sometimes translated helper, advocate, comforter, encourager. It's a beautiful title. It, 
it says so much. Uh, but for now, let's just think about the word advocate and see how the Spirit is the one that comes alongside us, the one that fights for us, if you like, the one that knows us so well that he speaks for us, the one on whom we can depend when our resources have run out. Mark and I, uh, my husband and I, recently watched a Netflix drama. And in this drama, a single mum, she's left her abusive partner, uh, she is fighting for the custody of her child. And we know as the viewers that that's the right thing for her to keep her child. But her partner has all the resources, he has the money and the power and the wherewithal to fight the case. And she has nothing. She has no money to pay for a lawyer, and she doesn't have the resources to fight her case. But the woman that, it's a spoiler alert, in case any of you watch it, the woman that she uh, is cleaning for uh, ends up having a friend who happens to be a very good lawyer, and the rest is history. As she has somebody who comes alongside her and speaks for her and fights her case, justice is done. The Spirit is the one that stands in our corner, as it were. But this is not just an individual thing. It is not just a gift for us as individuals. The Spirit is fighting for the cause of love around the world. Yesterday, I had the privilege of listening to a woman who was speaking from an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission. And this organization work on a global scale to bring about God's justice and righteousness. And she described how in this battle against evil, she has seen, they have seen how the Spirit has worked. They've seen miraculous uh, ways in which the Spirit has brought about God's purposes, his purposes of love and justice. And as I listened to her speaking about the work of IJM and thinking about the world in which we live, I thought about that question that Judas asks Jesus, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. He says to Jesus, doesn't he, why do you intend to show yourselves to us and not to the world? And I can really relate to that question. There have been many times when I have wanted to say to God, why do you not just show yourself, reveal yourself to the world? I have wanted him to, to show us, to show people, to show the world who he is beyond any shadow of doubt. I have wanted him to bring about his kingdom, to bring in justice, to bring Putin to his knees. I have wanted him to establish his kingdom dramatically and um, emphatically. And if you have ever felt the same way, then we're in good company. Uh, Moses, up the mountain with God, said to him, show me your glory. And the cry of the prophet, of course, says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. <clears throat> so Judas asks a good question. But he is somewhat confused and bewildered as well. And Jesus' answer to Judith might not at, sir, at first seem like much of an answer. 
Jesus tells Judas that actually God's way is not our way. God's way is very different. Jesus points Judas to a different way that Jesus is going to, that God reveals himself. He says it's all about intimate relationship. Revelation comes not through clever argument or dramatic acts. Revelation comes through loving. Comes through us loving God, God loving us, and us loving one another. That is how God reveals himself to us. Jesus says, you will see me and know me because we will make our home together. Jesus says, I will reveal myself to you in the context of our life together. And I think this is the most wonderful picture of the Christian life. It's as though Jesus is saying, our life together is like what we call home, an ideal home, a place of acceptance and joy, a place of flourishing. Our life together is like the best home where we can become the best of who we are, a safe place where we're accepted and loved. I think we have all been deeply moved by the need of our Ukrainian, of the Ukrainian refugees uh, for a home. And it's so good, isn't it, to hear of host families that are offering and opening their home to strangers, to people who are in danger and who are in need. And that costs, it costs in terms of time and resources, effort, and of course, financially. I hope and pray that we, as a church community, can support the host families around us. The act of offering someone a home, of opening your home to someone, whether that's through fostering or adopting or hosting a refugee family, that act mirrors what God does. Jesus, the devoted son, invites us into the family home and it costs him his life to enable us to be part of that family. He shares his life with us and we share our lives with him. It takes us a lifetime, doesn't it, to work out what this looks like in our everyday lives. What are the implications of this living with God and him living with us? It's as though we have to learn the ways of our new family. We have to learn how they do things, how they speak to one another, how they treat one another. But in this lifelong learning, we are promised the teacher. The Spirit is our teacher. The Spirit is the one who knows all things. And the Spirit is the one who teaches us. So we must be teachable. We must be open to learning. Please let us never fall into the temptation of thinking we know it all, of thinking that somehow there isn't anything new to learn. Our world is changing so dramatically. We have had such seismic shifts in culture. We're doing things and talking about things that even five years ago we weren't. 
would you believe, because of my son's response to the environmental crisis, we had vegan pie for Easter Sunday lunch. That would not have happened five years ago. And we know, don't we, that some of the ideologies and philosophies in our world are opposed to God. But some of what we see changing is not. How do we discern what is of God and what is not? How do we know what is loving, what is in line with his purposes and what is not? We must trust the good teacher. We must trust the one who is love, the one who promises to be with us to the end of the ages, the one who promises to sustain us through all the changes and chances of this fleeting world. We must be open to him teaching us. This living with God and him living with us doesn't just mean that we are known, but that we can know the heart of God. And the heart of God is one of peace. The life of the Trinity is a life of peace. Jesus reassures his followers, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. And it is a peace that is quantifiably different, different in both quality and quantity than anything we've experienced before. This word peace in the Bible is shalom. And shalom is so much more than just a feeling. When we talk about peace, we think of calm or just how we feel inside. But God's peace, this peace that Jesus offers, is so much more than a feeling. Shalom is about living. It's about a life of assurance, a life of love, a life, a life of joy, a life of hope. This shalom is about living flourishing, healthy lives. Shalom is about living lives of balance and wholeness. It's a peace that is about things being in place, things being in order, not just for ourselves, but for others too. My prayer this morning is that wherever we're at in the battle of love, whether we're feeling victorious or weary, my prayer is that we would know Jesus promises the life that he shares with us. And this life of love, this life of peace, will feel like coming home. Amen.